Chelsea fans, welcome back to another edition of the Lab from Matthew Hollingstam Podcast. I'm your host, Shane Holcomb. Thomas Tuchel faced his toughest tax to date as Chelsea boss wins the evening at Stanford Bridge, passing it with authority, defeating Diego Simeone's Atletico Madrid side 3-0 on aggregate to advance the Champions League quarterfinal. Who better to have on the podcast to recap the Blues' most vital victory of recent than with a Chelsea writer from FootballLondon.com, Adam Newson, one of the few lucky people that's been able to be inside Stadia over the past few months. Thanks for on the podcast today, mate. How's everything going? Oh, firstly, thank you for having me on. Um, yeah, everything, uh, everything's going okay. Uh, looking forward, as we've just been talking about, getting back to, to normal life soon, hopefully. Um, but yeah, from a Chelsea's perspective, uh, it's going all uh, it's going all very well, isn't it, at the moment? Thank you once again, Anna, for taking time out of your day to join the podcast. Like you mentioned, probably Chelsea's most complete performance under Thomas Strickle thus far, tactically-wise. And that's kind of where I want to start because there were some eyebrows raised at a starting 11. There's always eyebrows raised at starting 11s, but he came out and it, and it paid off, right? The Hakeem Ziyech, Timo Werner, Kai Havertz, front three. So what was the most important contribution in your eyes on the pitch to all three attacking summer science finally jumped one another because this is really the first time three players playing with one another, but they really found a way to click with one another. They played really well. Uh, I think part of the reason it worked so well was that Atletico really did have to to come out and play. Um, you know, in that first leg, they played essentially a 6-3-1, um, which was so ne- negative and so defensively focused that, um, that, you know, Chelsea found it hard and understandably so, but they still got that win. And I think that really changed the whole complexion of, of the second leg. You know, Atletico had to to come out and they played a, a 4-2-3-1 slash 4-4-2. Um, and they played with a much higher line. And with Timo Werner, that's exactly what he really needs to, to thrive. Um, with Kai Havertz dropping in to, and Hakim Ziyech on the other side, you know, Chelsea just had space to operate in and they haven't always had that with their attacking players, you know. After Thomas Tuchel took charge, he played, it was it Wolves, Burnley, Tottenham. I mean, these are teams that do sit back and don't give a lot of space to, to, to the opponents. So over time, we're starting to see a little bit more what Timo Werner can do with that space. We're seeing Kai Havertz being able to, to help create that space by dropping off and dragging centre-backs uh, forward. Um, and yeah, it was nice to see Hakim Ziyech sort of get back to a level that... Um, he showed early on into his Chelsea career because he's probably not had the best time of it since uh, the start of the year. His form just hasn't really been there. But, um, but yeah, good for him to, to get that goal as well. I think, like you mentioned, Atletico Madrid were chasing that game, right? Which is why the first goal was so important to get. And we got that with Hakim Ziyech. But Atletico Madrid, they had to play out of their comfort zone, right? And it's a testament to Tuchel and how huge that away win was in the first leg. Because, like you mentioned, they were literally playing six, sometimes seven people in the back. So... The teams that Thomas Tuchel has played, and it's been interesting to see how it's kind of evolved because, like you mentioned, they've played some really low-block teams in those first couple of games. But now we're starting to get some more space. The fluidity of the attack, I think, has improved even in these past couple weeks when we're not scoring the many goals. I think our attack has been more fluid because we've had more space against Leeds. We've had more space to run against Atletico Madrid last evening. I think that's why Mark Alonso actually had a decent league game last night because he was able to move around the pitch. He didn't have to defend that solid. That's what I want to move into right now because the back three has been absolutely so brilliant, right? In these past couple of matches, they've been the key to our success under Thomas Tuchel thus far. But I think last night, it was the first time where our back three really showed that killer mentality, of course, highlighted by Antonio Rudiger antics with 
Stefan Savic <laughs> uh, causing the red card, of course. But even Kurt Zuma, right, and Asper Laquita, like they're getting into it, like Madrid players, but they're setting, they're stamping down their foot, and they're very confident players. And you can see that in the way they play. You can see that in the way they they talk on the pitch. They you can see that in the way their leadership their leadership's been. So, what have been your thoughts on the back three in general, but also last night because Christensen was scheduled to play. Thomas Tuchel had him in the lineup, and then if I'm understanding it correctly, just last morning. He was ill overnight, and he had to call Kurt Zuma in because so he wasn't even expected to play. But Zuma came in in the middle of the back three, and he had a really good game. So just general thoughts on the back three, but also they're starting to really show that killer mentality. And this squad, like you mentioned in your article last night, it's really grown up very quickly under Thomas Trugo, specifically that young back three. Yeah, no, I, I think it's testament to Thomas Tuchel's coaching, really, that he could drop seemingly he can drop any sort of member of his centre-back collection into that back three and and they all seem to perform they all seem to know exactly what they're doing where they have to be uh, the the positions they have to take up alongside each other and you know that only is achieved through coaching um obviously there's an element of confidence to it as well the way that Chelsea are are playing and the fact they've kept I think it's 11 clean sheets now in 13 games under Thomas Tuchel which is quite frankly ridiculous um but yeah you, you look at that back three last night and Antonio Rudy was great fun to watch. Um, I really enjoyed his performance. Uh, Kurt Zuma really solid. I maybe was a little bit um, concerned about him being dropped in so late and the fact that, you know, he played in the middle of the back three against Southampton and that was the only other game that Chelsea have, have conceded a goal from an opponent. Um, but other than that, you know, yeah, it's it's credit to Tuchel because he is being able to chop and change, drop in Christensen for five, six games, who's been brilliant. Christensen comes out, he drops in Kurtzuma and Kurtzuma produces a good performance. So in that respect, yeah, that, that's a testament to his coaching. And, and the wider point here I made him article is perhaps, and this is me playing a bit of amateur psychologist, but um, perhaps, you know, Frank Lampard's presence for the younger lads, the, you know, the academy lads and some of the younger players perhaps protected them a little bit because he was always going to give them game time. He was always going to trust them because of what they sort of meant to him and the project he was building. Whereas with Thomas Tuchel, he doesn't have that same um, affiliation to them. He basically is going to pick the players he believes deserve to play and the, have the quality to play. So for a lot of these young guys, they're going to have to suddenly mature very quickly and deliver because if they don't, Thomas Tuchel won't have any issue about dropping them because he doesn't have that same uh, relationship with them that Lampard did. So yeah, that's that's what I was alluding to in the sense of it's a team that's now having to mature a lot quick, more quickly than it was because they've probably lost that element of protection that Lampard gave them. I think the back three, what I've noticed just in these past couple of games, because maybe we're not scoring that many goals, but they're clean sheets-wise, like you mentioned, that's that 11 out of 13 clean sheets. I think something to do with the physicality and there's been this is there's this confidence with our defense they're more physical now we're not going to see that i think we actually might have the best record in the league if i'm not mistaken set piece wise um, which is insane because last season we were leaking set piece goals left and right <laughs> right remember and but kurt zoom i think is a testament to that last night because he came in he was super physical he won a lot of aerial duels like antonio rudiger and these center backs including christensen has just been able to stop and, and the crazy thing is we're doing this without one of the best center backs of our generation, right? And Tiago Silva, because so many people were worried. And I've talked about this so much in my previous podcast with people. So many people were worried when Silva went off against Tottenham, but everyone's been brilliant so far. And like you mentioned, Tuchel's been able to rely on different partnerships to get the job done, not the same exact one. And maybe that's something to do with his tactical instructions, but I think it's something to do with their confidence. 
And when center backs are very confident, like every player, they're more physical and they're just better. And I think, of course, last weekend, remember Antonio Rudiger in the box, Leeds probably could have gotten a goal, but he headed it away. So it's just, I think they're very physical right now. And I think it's shown in that killer mentality. And it was so great to see Rudiger and Savage get into it last night. Savage, of course, got that red card that was, it was controversial, but at the same moment, it was going on the whole game, kind of that build up between Rudiger and Savage in the box. And But Rudiger got the, the good deal out of it. And I think it's because he was disciplined enough to not go overboard, but at the same time, I mean, he was absolutely clowning those Atletico defenders and attacking the whole entire <laughs> game. So it was brilliant to see the defense of their job to perfection again last night. And then I also want to bring up Edward Mendy, right? Because he hasn't had that many chances to shine, but when he needs to be brilliant, he is. And it was highlighted last night by that save from Jao Felix in the box because that was a great opportunity on goal. It was a great dribble attempt by Jao Felix, who I think probably was Atletico's best player on the pitch last night. And that could have made the last five minutes of that tie an absolute heart attack, right? Because Atletico get one more goal <laughs> and they're through the quarterfinals. So absolutely immense save from Edward Mendy. He's had so many clean sheets under far. I think he's going to win the Golden Glove in the Premier League this season. It's going to be crazy, too, to see because he came in. I think his first game in the Premier League was like an eighth match day. So, I mean, it's not like he's been here the whole entire season, and but he's come in, and maybe it's a testament to Petr Cech's work uh, training with him because he's training with him at Cobham right now. But I just think he has all the confidence in the world, and, and the defense can rely on Edward Mendy to really – pick them up when they make mistakes like Asper the Quaita did last night when Jao Felix dribbled around him. So I think Edward Mendy's been absolutely brilliant. You can't put enough praise on him. But now I move a little bit forward up the pitch into the midfield, including those wingbacks, right? Marcus Alonso, Rich James, great performances. It's crazy to think because like when you do your player ratings, because there's a bunch of articles like you, I'm sure everyone in play uh, rating articles before. I think every single Chelsea player was at least a 7.5 last night because, I mean, especially that midfield, they were just absolutely brilliant. Alonso didn't have to defend that much, like I said a little earlier. He was never dribbled past, which is a stat that Marcus Alonso is always criticized for last night. <laughs> never dribbled past. And it's because he didn't have to do that much work on the left side. And I think it's a testament to Reese James, but also Angulo Conte and Kulicic helping them out because I think when Marcus Alonso plays with a guy that's not Reese James, like Helen Hudson Adoy, I don't think he could play Mark Salonzo with Kelm Hudson Adoy as those two wing backs just because defensively solid wise. Mm -hmm. So I think that's why we saw Reese James and Mark Salonzo last night. But he gives you a threat going forward, right? And although he had that, I think, one opportunity down the left hand side, they didn't get on, on target. He's making those runs and he's he's been a transparent player. So, but also, I mean, you have to praise Ingolo Kant and Mateo Kovacic because they were absolutely everywhere. They made Koke look like little boy he, i think he was the worst player in atletico madrid last night and he's their captain and i mean he looked terrible yeah. it was because of kovacic and conte's brilliance in the midfield so what are your thoughts on this midfield horror because it looks like this is what tuco is going to rely on going into the end of the season uh i thought Ungolo conte was absolutely brilliant um uh he put on a, a clinic i think of how to play the role he does um yeah there's nobody better than Ungolo conte when he plays like that in the world um I actually wrote an article this uh, this morning that's up on Football London is, you know, N'Golo Kante's had a bit of a weird two and a half years um, solely because really, you know, Maurizio Sarri came in and, and decided that he wanted to play him as an eight. Frank Lampard really continued that um, and then also dropped him back into a six. But, you know, it was quite early on as Thomas Tuchel's tenure that he came in and said, no, no, N'Golo Kante's best position is one of a double six. And you do that 
and he's gonna, you're going to get the best of him. And obviously, that's what Thomas Tuchel has done. And, and since Angola Kante has fully got over the injury that kept him out for, for a month at the start of the year, he's gone from strength to strength. And last night was a culmination of probably five or six great performances he's put in. So it is great to have that Angola Kante back because he's such a game changer in, in that role. Um, yeah, and whoever plays alongside him at the moment, it was Matteo Kovacic last night. It's been Jorginho before, and obviously Jorginho and Kovacic have played together as well. And again, it's very similar to the to the back three discussion. You know, that that centre midfield two seem to know exactly what they have to do. They know when to press. They know when to drop back. They know if one's going to go forward, the other one has to sit. And it's just so well drilled. And again, that's down to Thomas Tuchel. Um, in terms of the wing backs. I think we're going to see, as you say, it is going to chop and change, I think, for the season, depending on who Chelsea are playing. I imagine Callum will probably start at, at the weekend against Sheffield United and maybe we'll see Ben Chilwell on the opposite side. Um, I thought maybe Ben Chilwell would play last night against Atletico, largely because he is a better defender than Marcus Alonso uh, and Chelsea did have a lead to protect. Um, but it's, uh, it's credit to Marcus Alonso that... Um, He's come back in, obviously he was frozen out by Lampard for, for differing reasons, but he's come back in and he's he's basically established himself as the first choice for the big games. And I don't think there would have been many Chelsea fans who would envisage that sort of November, December time when he wasn't even in the squad for every game. So um, so credit to Alonso. And yeah, I mean, going forward, the wing-backs, I imagine they say they'll, they'll chop and change depending on on the opposition and the strength of the opposition. But I do imagine that for the big, big games we will probably see Reese and, and Marcus Alonso as the wingbacks. I think Reese James has been really brilliant at this right wingback role, and he kind of struggled early on, remember, playing this position, but he's, I think, learned to it more. He's adapted to it more. And I love Reese James. We're sorry, I saw it a little bit last night, but I think a partnership that was so brilliant together in that first part of the season, and then we went on that 17-game unbeaten run, on that right-hand side was Reese James and Hakim Ziyech, right? Their interchange has been really awesome. Down either byline, or I think we saw that glimpse again once last night. So it was really good to see Reese James because mm. people were a little bit worried about him, right? Because in the first couple of games, he wasn't getting those minutes. Uh, but he's an absolutely brilliant yeah. player. He's Chelsea's future at that right back role. And I think this back, this middle three, he really suits it because he has asked for the quick to kind of to protect them. So it means he can get forward, but at the same time, he's brilliant defending. Of course, he has that trademark chest down that he's always brilliant <laughs> at. You can't speak enough about this midfield, especially last night, because topic the talking point going into the game was, even though Matt Mason Mount plays in a little bit more of an attacking uh, standpoint, how are we going to replicate his nonstop energy, right, moving up and down the pitch? And maybe we don't get that a sense of attacking going forward, but Kovacic and Conte, their energy and their work rate last night was absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was great to see communication from Tuchel on the sidelines. I talked a bunch about this, and actually that's where I want to move into next because you've been at the Stamford Bridge at least past couple of months, and especially with Thomas Tuchel. And I've talked a little bit about this in previous podcasts too. I think it was before Everton I talked about how, just how communication-wise Thomas Tuchel has transformed this team because there was moments, especially towards the later run of Frank Lampard's tenure, that when there would be struggling where there would be deficit he would just kind of sit on the sidelines with with his arms folded and just wouldn't really talk he would be quiet um, but Thomas Tuchel he's definitely very loud on the sideline and I want to kind of get your point on a view on this because you've been at the stadium and you'd be able to listen to Thomas Tuchel because there's no one at Stanford Bridge but also it was great to see Thago Silva mm-hmm. even on the touchline last night giving some advice to the center back so your thoughts on how communication wise Thomas Tuchel has changed this team he is also he's communication, he's communicating, but also the 
team is communicating. And that's something that we weren't really seeing in those latter stages. It's not too big of a criticism of Lampard, but that's something that we were struggle, really struggled with. It's just there wasn't that communication. And now Thomas Jugal has kind of mm-hmm. laid a groundwork and he's been a kind of a leader of that communication on the pitch. So what are your thoughts been on that? Because I know you've been able to be at Stanford Bridge and, and hear Thomas Jugal, but also the team during the games. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Thomas Sickle uh, doesn't show up during games, which as a player, I mean, uh, you know, sometimes I'm sure it gets on the nerves. I think we saw uh, against, was it Everton, the uh, the exchange in Germany had it with Timo Werner, where he basically said, you know, Timo, why are you on the left? I told you to get on the right, but go over to the right. And, you know, Thomas Sickle was asked about that uh, last week and he just said, yeah, it's blunt sometimes, but it's all done uh, in within the game. It's not personal. Um, but yeah, he is constantly... Um, barking out instructions, constantly trying to motivate his players. I do wonder, um, and again, this is this is just my opinion, I do wonder if there's an element that, because Frank Lampard was so much more emotionally invested in, in Chelsea, look, Thomas Tuchel's coming in January, he's got no prior association to Chelsea, he's got no prior history with Chelsea, this is a, a job to him. Um, for Frank Lampard, it meant that a little bit more, and I think he probably felt every single result that a little bit more, and if Chelsea were winning, you always used to see Lampard, you know, bounding into his post-match interviews all smiles all happy and on the opposite side when Chelsea lost or they were going through a difficult spell as they did you know his face really told the whole story and you, you could see his reaction on the touchline Thomas Tuchel doesn't have that same connection and that's maybe a good thing because it does leave him to be a bit more objective and to just be focused on on his job uh, which is to make sure this Chelsea team perform well um I think part of the communication on the pitch that's improved is that he's also leaning on more experienced players. Obviously, Antonio Rudiger's come back in. That's put come back in. Jorginho uh, is playing regularly too. And these guys have a lot of experience and um, are big personalities who are going to communicate more than perhaps younger players. So, yeah, in that respect, there is a lot more communication. You can hear it a lot more. Uh, you can hear the Chelsea voices a lot more at Stamford Bridge. And, yeah, um, it does seem to, to be making a difference. And... Um, Again, that's just, uh, we keep saying it, it's just down to, to Thomas Tuchel and the transformation that he's uh, really ever seen. It's great to see on the pitch, too, because it's probably helping him a little bit right now that there isn't fans shouting at him, so he can make those yeah. voice <laughs> in during the game, and he can shout at players across the pitch. And, and we've seen that on the TV coverage, but I'm sure you've, you've heard it at Stanford Bridge. And that's where I, I also want to move into next, because before we talk about going forward in the FA Cup and the Champions League and what our chances are in both those competitions, I want to talk about just the atmosphere of the bridge on, on match days, right? And what's kind of changed, not only since Thomas Tuchel's came in, but since the pandemic hit, right? Because it's a totally different atmosphere, I'm sure. Press conferences are now virtual. You're not next to the locker room at Stanford Bridge in person anymore. You're on Zoom. And Tuchel's coming. That's actually one of his traits that I really like. In, in press conferences, he seems to be really owning the room even though his room is the computer. I think he's been absolutely <laughs> brilliant so far answering your guys' questions, reporters' questions. Um, but just give us a kind of a sense of a reporter's job covering Chelsea right now and covering the Premier League because it's a whole different environment at the stadium, but also for press conferences purposes because you're not being able to get that personal connection with Thomas Tuchel mm-hmm. in the dressing room. So what's, what's changed since the pandemic started as a football reporter covering the Premier League because there's not fans of those matches anymore? And you're not being able to sit right next to the manager. It's a very strange environment to to go into, to be honest. Um, I've, I've you know I've not really hidden this. I'm a Chelsea fan, so I've been to Stamford Bridge when it's packed. I've been to Stamford Bridge on a match day. I know exactly what it's like. I've been there, you know, countless times over the years, and and it's very strange walking along the Fulham Road and and into the sort of environment, the ground, and 
having to fill out, uh, you know, COVID declaration forms, having to do the hand sanitizer, temperature checks. It is a very strange experience. Um, but at the same time, I'm very appreciative that there are hundreds of thousands of people around the world who would love to be in the position that I am in in terms of being able to go into the ground. So um, while it's weird, it's uh, something that I very much still do enjoy. Um, yeah, the press conference stuff is a bit strange. Um, obviously, I've been I've been in, at Football London doing the Chelsea sort of beat for for sort of three and a bit months now. And yeah, I've not met Thomas Tuchel in person. I've not met any of the players in person. And I've, I didn't meet Frank Lampard in person, which when I got the job, I was like, oh, this will be great because obviously I was hoping he would be there for quite a long time. Um, and as a Chelsea fan growing up, he was my favourite player. And I was like, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to get to meet the, my favourite Chelsea player growing up. Didn't happen. Fair enough, we move on. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it does make it that little bit harder to develop a relationship with the head coach. As you say, Thomas Sukkel has been great. He's really charismatic, really funny. Um, yeah, his press conferences have, have usually been really good. A good mix of detail, a good mix of, of humour. Um, I guess the only difference is that uh, it makes it easier for the, the sort of Chelsea to, to get the questions from people they want because you have to do the virtual webinars and you raise your hand, you press a little button to raise your hand and it's very much down to the, the Chelsea press officer to decide who obviously gets to ask the questions. Whereas whilst that is the case in a, in a human press conference, um, obviously it's a bit easier to try and get your hand noticed <laughs> when, uh, when you're asking a question. But, uh, but other than that, yeah, it's, um, it's not too different, even if it's a bit strange. I think personified by his press conference leading up to the match when he was asked about Timo Werner. I mean, absolutely brilliant answer from Thomas Tuchel about how you should read more books um, and not read more articles yes. about silly transfer rumors. So I forget who reporter asked that, but I mean, it was just a great, it was absolutely brilliant to hear Thomas Tuchel have a lot of fun with the media. And that was one of the first things I noticed too when he came in, because he's been saying all the right things. And I think that's what has somewhat surprised me. But I think it's a testament to him learning from his mistakes at previous clubs because that's been his fallout at previous clubs communication mm. with the downfall of the board and, and it's just so far it hasn't happened with with Chelsea and so far it hasn't happened with the press when he disagrees with the press he makes it funny which is a lot of which is really yes. cool to watch and he doesn't make it discriminative you know so it's been he's been absolutely brilliant in the press and I'm sure you've loved covering him so far like you mentioned I can't even imagine mm. walking into Stanford Bridge with absolutely no one there and you're just sitting at least you have your colleagues next to you writing for Chelsea but I mean without those fans there Actually, there was a joke from the commentator last night that they were announcing the lineups, but who are they there announcing the lineups to? Because there's no fans in the grounds. Yeah. So they're still doing that. They're still playing the song when Chelsea scores. I mean, it's just, it's been a completely different experience. And I think hopefully, even maybe by the end of the season, we can even get like something like we did in the winter, like a 2,000, 5,000, even maybe more. They're talking about 10,000 people at Stanford Bridge, yeah. which would be absolutely brilliant, even if it was for one match before the end of the season. But real quick, before I wrap up the podcast, Adam, I want to talk about going forward in this competition, going forward in the Champions League, because it is Chelsea's first appearance in the quarterfinals since the 2013-2014 season. We've made the quarterfinal right now. It's going to be a really tough draw, which actually it's kind of unfortunate because the draw is tomorrow morning. So when the episode does release, we'll know what opponent we have. Regardless of what opponent we have, it's going to be a, going to be a very hard time over two legs with the likes of PSG, Dortmund, Liverpool, Bayern, Man City, Porto. I mean, you name it. Um, it's just, it's, when you get down to the stage, those are the teams that you have to play. So what are your thoughts going forward in this competition? But also the FA Cup, because I think it's a really good opportunity for 
Tom Struggle to get to, uh, some silverware. He got really faded out in that FA Cup draw, and hopefully I don't eat my words up because he got Sheffield United in the in the FA Cup, which we'll have a preview on in the next couple of days on Sunday. I think it's Sunday lunchtime against Sheffield United Stanford Bridge even too, so we don't need to go to Bramall Lane, which is a blessing. But um, your, your thoughts on the Chelsea going forward in the Cup competitions because although a lot of focus is going to be on getting top four, there's a bunch of opportunities, more in the FA Cup, but also – there's a lot of excitement around Chelsea fans right now because they're still in these big comp competitions and, and they can go for because they're down to eight teams or they're down to four teams. They beat Sheffield United, they go to Wembley. And then, of course, if they somehow get a, a, a two-legged win over a team in the quarterfinal, they're in the semifinal and God knows what can happen from there. So how's your excitement right now? Because you, you are a Chelsea fan going forward in these FA Cup and these Champions League fixtures because I love comp competition so much. I think they really show how your team is. There's going to be a bunch of, uh, focus on that Champions League top four, but I'm really focusing on those cup competitions as much because they're blast to enjoy it. And hopefully this year we can go and actually win the FA Cup and God knows why, but win the Champions League also. <laughs> yeah, the, the fan in me is getting a little bit excited about the Champions League given how Chelsea are playing at the moment. Um, you, I think Thomas Tuchel said after last night's game, there's, I don't think there's going to be a team that wants to play Chelsea at the moment just because how... Uh, a, how Chelsea are defending, they're just not conceding goals. Uh, and B, obviously, the, they've got a, a credible array of attacking players that can win games. Um, so, yeah, you know, it will be tricky no matter who Chelsea get. As you say, every team at this point is there on merit. And, you know, Porto may be perceived as the you know, quote-unquote weaker team out of the eight. But, you know, they knocked out Juventus, so let's not discount them uh, at all. So, yeah, whoever Chelsea get will be difficult. But... You know, there's, as I said, no one's going to really want to play Chelsea at the moment, which is a, a great position to be in and does make me a little bit excited as a fan. Uh, the journalist in me is trying to just be a bit more professional and not get that uh, overzealous about it yet. Um, yeah, in terms of the FA Cup, Chelsea have a good chance. I mean, you know, they should, they should, touch wood, uh, get past Sheffield United at the weekend. You know, Sheffield United, who are without Chris Wilder now and capitulated against Leicester City last weekend. So, that was a good sign for Chelsea uh, that, that that happened. Um, so, you know, Chelsea are going to be heavy favourites and they should, I'll say should a lot, get through. Um, and then, as you say, you know, you're down to the last four and you're, you're at Wembley and you're two games away from lifting a trophy. And I think that would be a huge turnaround in probably where Chelsea were in January. Um, you know, I don't think very many people would have imagined Chelsea being in the position they are now uh, under Lampard. Uh, as, as harsh as, as or sad as that may be for many fans, but uh, you know the decision of the club has really paid off. Um, so in that respect, yeah, I think Chelsea can can definitely win the FA Cup, and um, you know why not? Why not the Champions League? It would be uh, an incredible, incredible achievement. But um, but you know, as long as they're in it, they've got they've, they've got a chance. I'm so excited to see these cup competitions roll out because a, we might even have fans at the FA Cup Wembley, which would be an absolute blast. But also, there's been talks about Champions League having fans back for those because I believe if we get to the semifinals by then, England's been talking about putting fans back in in their stadiums as well. So I mean, it'd be absolutely brilliant to get a home leg for that. It's something that I think was really important last night too because we were one of the really few lucky teams that actually got their second leg at their home stadium. Yeah. Even just one leg at their actual home stadium because teams had to play a neutral venue. So I think it, it was a it was it helped us a little bit not having to travel. Um, but if you look at those last eight teams who are in the quarterfinals, I mean there's Bournemouth in the FA Cup. What are they gonna be able to do? Um, of course Everton Manchester City, that'll be a, a Tyson tie, but also 
one of Leicester City and Manchester United are going to be out after the weekend. So those that's going to be take care of one team that's a really good team. So Chelsea got lucky in this draw, but of course, it only gets harder for here for them in the cup competitions. But under Thomas Tuchel so far, they're not conceding goals, but just leading to victories. And they've been absolutely brilliant so far. So real quick before we end the episode, where can my listeners find you, find your work on, on, on of course, football.london.com, um, but also the other content that you produce for Chelsea um, in the media. Um, but also your social media links. Where can my audience find you there? Yeah, so yeah, all my all my articles are done for for Football London at the moment. Hopefully, in time, I'll branch out a little bit more as well. Um, but yeah, follow me on Twitter uh, at Adam Newson N E W S O N, um, and follow my Facebook page if you would, because I'm trying to fill that up very very slowly. But uh, yes, I'll be very appreciated if people like that. Well, thank you once again, Adam, for coming on to the podcast. As always, you can find us on instagram at lad for matthew harden podcast you can find me on twitter at jane hogan 13 i implore you guys right now to stop the episode first of all go read adam's uh, newsletter last night from the chelsea victory against Atletico madrid go check out his work on football.london.com it's a great site um, and he does great work right now with sam for, for the chelsea fan base right now for, for football.london so make sure to check out his content um, and then make sure to give our podcast an apple five-star rating review on apple podcast because it really helps us grow on that podcast community we're going to have an fa cup preview match for the f the sheffield united game coming in the next couple of days with a pretty awesome guest so stay tuned that that's going to drop on saturday this will be dropped on friday we'll know who our opponent is in the fa cup when this episode comes out so let's just play that it's not Bayern munich or manchester city um and uh, until next time chelsea fans uh, make sure to stay safe and Chelsea fans, welcome back to another edition of The Lab from Matthew Hardenstam Podcast. I'm your host, Shane Holcomb. Thomas Tuchel stays at home at Stanford Bridge on Sunday at lunchtime, but he's in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup, and he's going for silverware Sunday at lunchtime today. To preview the match, I'm so excited to welcome onto the podcast, John from the Chelsea Social. Such a great guy in the Chelsea social media content creator uh, community. Thank you so much, John, for coming onto the podcast today, man. How's everything going, man? Yeah, yeah, it's all good, bro. It's all good. Um, I've seen what you're doing here, and it's uh, it's good stuff, bro. So it's a pleasure to be on. Um, it's a good time to be a Chelsea fan too. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. turning the corner. Suddenly, other teams are looking at us with their eyebrows raised and thinking, "Whoa!" I, I really I forgot how much I hate Chelsea. And as soon as they say that, that means Chelsea are back. So we're going the right way. It's a good time to be a Chelsea fan. And it's Friday, so exactly, man. Mood. Praise the Lord, right? But yeah, I mean, it's starting to raise some other teams' eyebrows now, some other fans' eyebrows. I think this is signaling that we're back, right? We're back in the Champions League quarterfinals for the first time since 2014, and this is where we need to be, right? With the squad that we have, with the personnel that we have, with the great manager that we have. That's where I want to start because the FA Cup is another amazing cup competition. We were so close to winning it last summer. It was a heartbreaker. It fallen, of course, to all teams but Arsenal. Um, in the final back in August and Thomas Trickle has come in and he talked a little bit about this in his press conference today about how important those cup competitions are because we still are realistically in the FA Cup but also the Champions League right but of course this is a very big game this weekend we cannot look over Sheffield United because they've gotten results over us before I'm highlighted by last summer is one of the worst games ever watched as a Chelsea Mm -hmm. fan at Bramall Lane last summer um, so they're coming to Stanford Bridge. They're hungry. Yeah. They're, I don't know if they're going to be fighting for the club. You saw that they got absolutely bummeled by Leicester City on the weekend. But they're going to come to Stanford Bridge wanting to win this game. And, and they're going to want to win this game for Chris Wilder, right? And that's where I want to start off today because 
Thomas Tuchel, this is a great opportunity for him to get a trophy right in his first season at Chelsea. It'd be so great for him to win the FA Cup. There's still the likes of Manchester United, though. Manchester City um, down the line. But we have to get through Sheffield United first, right, at Stamford Bridge on the weekend. So what are your thoughts going into this game, Thomas Tuchel-wise? Because if he can get through this game, he's at Wembley. Well, this is it. This is it. And, you know, well put, Shane. Um, I mean, let's look at it like this. Chelsea in a very good place at the moment. Um, win this, we're in the FA Cup semi-final. We've got a favourable draw in the Champions League with, you know, playing Porto. Win that, we're in the semi-finals of the Champions League. And we're in the top four as it is. So it's looking very, very good for Tuchel right now. And, you know, the, the way the team are, are playing, you can see that they're just building up confidence game to game to game. They're getting better and better and better. And more and more players are being involved in that as well because he's using a lot of players, you know. So I think if Tuchel can get a trophy in his first season as Chelsea boss, not only will he trigger a contract extension, mm. sorry, um, I think it's just, it, it means that we're going to be so intimidating for other teams because he's just come in the way he did a day before his first game in charge of Chelsea. And he hasn't lost a game up until this point. It's crazy. And I think that hopefully, if the season ends the way it's going currently, then teams are going to fear us again. Chelsea are going to have their fear factor back. I think winning the FA Cup would be massive for that. It's a trophy that a lot a lot of people still value. Um, I, you know, Chelsea have won a trophy quite a lot of times. I don't remember how many times exactly off the top of my head. But, you know, some of my best moments as a Chelsea fan have come from watching us get FA Cup triumphs, you know? I mean, Drogba getting the last goal, the, the first goal at the new Wembley against Man United in the FA Cup final. It, it, that was massive for me. I was watching it with my mates who are mostly Man United fans and, I'll never forget that in the extra time. And all the other ones on from there, Hazard, what he did to Phil Jones, absolutely burnt him, murdered him, and pulled out one of his famous faces, you know? I love the FA Cup. I think you never want to get to a point like where you're like Liverpool and you're prioritising one thing and one thing only. And I don't rate them for that over the last two years. Some of the best Chelsea teams have won multiple things. Do you know what I mean? And look... Rearrange the, the numbers 2012 and you get to 2021 if you do it the right way. That year, we won the Champions League in the FA Cup. Just saying. And I think it's a great point that you bring up that just that killer mentality of Chelsea and that fear factor in clubs because I think that's what bit, we've kind of been lacking over these past couple of seasons, right? We haven't been able to really compete for the cup competitions. I think last summer it was such a big opportunity for Frank Lampard to win that game. And I think that he did everything he could to win the game. But remember... I think it was four injuries we had during that game. Like, as for the quake goes, it goes down. Uh, we'll talk about Pulisic a little bit later, but he goes down after scoring that crazy goal to start off the game. I was jumping off my couch, and then three minutes later, I'm crying myself because Tristan Pulisic's going off with a hamstring injury. So it was just, we were so unlucky in that game. And I love the FA Cup, and I've only been a Chelsea fan for not a long time, or for, for not too long of a time. But the FA Cup, I just, I love how so many teams are invested in it. I, I feel like the allure has kind of gone away in England a little bit, but it shouldn't be like the older fans and, and even the younger fans, we should still value this trophy so much because it's the oldest championship trophy in all of world football, right? So it's such a big trophy for England. Chelsea, I've won it so many times, like you mentioned, they've created so many memories at that new Wembley. And it's just such a big opportunity to even just get back to Wembley, right? Just win the game, get back to Wembley and put yourself in a position where you can go 
and get the title race. Luckily enough for us, we don't have to play Manchester City in the quarterfinals or anything like that. Uh, Leicester or Man United are going to take care of one another um, on the weekend because they have to play one another. So that's going to be good to get someone out. But that's what I want to transition into right now. Um, a player to stand out on Sunday, right? Because this is a game where there's going to be opportunities. Thomas Tuchel has already shown in his short time at Chelsea that he's going to give opportunities to players. He's going to rotate. And even more so now because there is an FA Cup game and he still has to look forward to the Champions League. And we still have some really important Premier League games coming up. So there's more games for Chelsea, which means more rotation. But we've seen with Thomas Tuchel, he can rotate and it's not a problem, which is the crazy thing. And there's going to be a bunch of opportunities for these players to step up this weekend. So what's one player that you're looking at specifically to really have a big impact this weekend and maybe have a role in the Chelsea starting 11 going forward in these big games? Yeah, great question. Great question. Trying try to narrow it down to one player is quite tough. It's hard. Um, it's hard. I mean, do you know what? I would have said Pulisic, but you've mentioned that we're going to talk about him a little bit later. So I'm going to say someone else just for that reason. Um, I'm actually going to say Ben Chilwell. Now, mm. Ben Chilwell got a lot of stick for his performance against Leeds last weekend, which I think was, it was unjust in the sense that it turned into abuse. Um, I didn't think he played well. I called him out even on my review video and said, you can't be playing like that if you want to play for England in the Euros in the summer. You've got to play mm. better. You look at the stats, the stats actually show that he played well, but you look at the key moments, he didn't really deliver. You know, the shot, it was a bit pathetic and a few crosses and a few defensive moments he got done by Rafinha um, and Helder Costa. But you know what? It happens. It wasn't the worst performance in the world. But I feel like his own confidence needs to be built back up. Because if you think back to October and November, where he was absolutely flying and he was actually our most dangerous attacker as a left back, this guy was, his confidence was so good. His technique was unreal. Crossing balls on point. He was his shots were always on target. Do you know what I mean? He was getting up and down that left wing, and just between sort of Lampard leaving and Tuchel coming in, and that time that he's actually had on the sidelines, it looks to have dented his confidence rather than kind of reset it as it has done for the likes of Alonso, Rudiger, Christensen. You know, he's kind of gone the other way. So I think he owes it to himself, and I think he needs a big performance just to get back onto that because realistically, long term. We're not looking at another left back or left wing back. He is going to be replacing Alonso. He's going to be starting. Everyone wants it to work with him. You know, he's a, he's a pleasure to have in the squad. You can see the boys love him. He's got great chemistry. It's just right now, I think he's he's lost that confidence enough to slow his own play down. So whereas before he'd be knowing what he wants to do, when he gets the ball this time, it looks like he takes an extra touch before he whips in across and he gets blocked. It looks like he's overthinking his shots. It looks like even when he's defending, he's quite stiff because he's a little bit nervous. You know, he's lost that confidence. He's not fully relaxed. So he just needs a good performance. And this is the game. Sheffield United is the game for him to prove that. I mean, I hope he plays because you never know. Emerson might might play after after the other night. He might he might get his chance. So um, I'd like to hope Chilwell starts, and I really want him to have a good game. It's a great show, and I'm just going to put in a quick joke here before we continue on this triple point, just because Emerson, maybe Tuchel will try on that left center back again like he did last FA Cup game against Barnsley. That was something. Um, but Ben Shuel, like you mentioned, <laughs> I want to echo your sentiments because 
I think he was Chelsea's best signing in those early parts of the season because he came in and right away, his first start, Premier League, he gets a goal. He gets an assist against Crystal Palace. He's playing well in the Champions League group stage. And then I think now some of it, it's also that he's just learning a new role, right? Because he never has played left wing back in his career at Leicester City. They've always been a back four under Brendan Rodgers, and he's came here under Frank Lampard, and they were always under a back four. So I think that's kind of hurt him right now because Alonso is such a great left wing back, circularly. But I think he's learning that role. I think you saw against Leeds. I think his criticism, and, and there was criticism of him definitely, and rightly so in that attacking area like you brought up. But defensively, I, I thought he was pretty solid, right? I mean, he didn't let Leeds get behind him. He was dribbled past a couple of times, I will say that. Um, and in the box, he was a little bit, like you mentioned, he just, he seems like he's overthinking a lot of things, right? But I think that he had, a, I don't think he had a terrible game. And I think with Ben Chilwell, like I mentioned, I think he's just learning this new role. He's going to get better. And Chelsea fans have to face it. And, and Chilwell is going to prove them all wrong if they're down on him because he's the left back going forward for England. He's the left back for the future of Chelsea. And hopefully he can get some more minutes because Gareth Southgate, he just picked him in the squad, but Luke Shaw's had a hell of a season. So he hopefully can pick up his game speed because right now he's not England's number one left back. Um, there's so much you can say about Gareth Southgate. He hopefully can learn that left wing back position because Southgate uses it a lot, right, in that back three for England. Um, but Ben Shuel, I think I'd love to see him start at that left wing back role. And even at left back, I think he's probably a way better left back. So I actually wouldn't mind to see a back four. We'll talk a little bit about our starting 11s in, in the next couple of minutes. But now I want to mention Christian Pulisic. And, and this is an FA Cup game for him where I think he can really thrive in because Sheffield United as a team, their defense is terrible. Ethan Ampadu, their one bright light from Chelsea on loan, isn't going to be able to play in this fixture. Christian Pulisic can get in behind. I'd love to see Giroud and Pulisic play because I think their partnership is just so well. They play so well off one another. Um, but Christian Pulisic, he's had such a rough go, right? And I was really disappointed. And I was, we've talked, we, I, me and Ellie have talked about this, of course, because Ellie's a Christian Pulisic super fan oh, yeah. um, <laughs> in the past. And um, we've talked about, and, and it's a bit unfortunate for Pulisic. And Ellie brought up a great point and about how, and, and he gave him a chance on Leeds, right? This was pre-Leeds. But every single player under Thomas Tuchel has gotten to start in the Premier League, except for Christian Pulisic. And, and it's been frustrating for him. Um, and he got that run out against Leeds and he did a okay, had an okay performance because um, he kind of was coming from that right side. I think he prefers coming from the left. But I think mm -hmm. that Christian Pulisic could really thrive in this game. I think that's where you put him at that left wing spot. I know Thomas Tuchel knows the player. I think Thomas Tuchel has to realize because he's talked about this. He says, oh, well, Christian Pulisic, I've been with him at Dortmund. I've been with him in the past. This is a different player than that player back in 2017, 2018. He's a better finisher than he was at Borussia Dortmund. He's a little bit older. He has more confidence. He knows how to play the game better. And so I think Tuchel needs to realize this is a different player. And some, I think it's been something that, that's hurt Pulisic because Tuchel does a little bit know have a relationship with him going back to Dortmund. So I guess what have your thoughts been on Pulisic this season? Because it's just a, such a big talking point in the United States because United States soccer, of course, going into the World Cup, weren't able to qualify for it in 2018. It was so heartbreaking. But Christian Pulisic is going to be the poster boy going forward for our country. So a lot of American fans want to hear what your thoughts are on Christian Pulisic because I think this is a game where he could really thrive and hopefully get a goal back. And, and if he plays with Olivier Giroud, I think that's a lot more likely 
have happened in the knot. So what have been your overall thoughts on Pulisic this season? He's been so unlucky with the injuries, but also he just hasn't got the opportunities yet to show what kind of player he really is. Yeah, yeah, well put, Shane, well put. Um, I'll start from the beginning, Project Restart. I, when I started doing all sort of football Twitter and everything, um, I, I was thinking, I was getting excited for, for the Premier League starting again, and I picked out one player that I thought was going to be the player to watch out for. When I looked at all the numbers and everything, Christian Pulisic, I thought, wow, this guy is amazing. He loves to go for goal. But people at that time were comparing to Hazard, but he's, he's a different player. Yes, they can dribble very well. They're kind of similar in that sense, but he goes for goal. He goes for the throat. He goes for the neck. That's what Pulisic is about. And in order to do that, you need to be someone that's thriving on confidence. You know, you need to be instinctive. You can't be overthinking stuff. Um, and obviously, he had Project Restart. He had a chance, I think, in that break before Project Restart started. He had a chance to really condition his body, strengthen his muscles, and he was as fit as he's probably ever been. He was. And that, that break was very good for his body. Um, and you can almost see how his body kind of let him down in the FA Cup final right at the end of that stint of games every two, three, four days, right? So I think the thing with Pulisic is as a team, an elite team, we need consistency. Availability is an ability. And he hasn't had that because he just keeps getting these knocks, especially since that his hamstring went in the FA Cup final. So I think he is his own biggest critic. And that's what I love about him. He beats himself up if something goes wrong. Even if he misplaces a pass slightly, you can see him on the pitch. He's like, damn, like, you, you know, I didn't mean to put on an American accent there, but that's just what came to my head, you know. <laughs> um, but no, seriously, he he is beating himself up. So he, I know that he's got an elite mentality because of it. I think that's absolutely brilliant with him. But as this, as it goes with this season, again, availability is an ability. He has a run, then something goes wrong and gets a knock. And then he misses a few training sessions and it gets frustrating. Now, let's not forget, he, his form wasn't actually great towards the end of Lampard's reign. He came back from an injury at the start of December and then he didn't have a goal contribution for ages. Like, just kept playing and nothing was happening. And I think it was good for him then to go on the sidelines when Tuchel came in because it, what it does is it lets him again focus on conditioning his body, strengthening his muscles and just resetting himself. Because when you're in bad form, football's a very streaky game. It takes ages to get back onto good form. It's difficult, but it's time on the sideline is good for that. That you know, It's kind of like a mentality switch in that sense. So now he's fighting for his place again, and his body's in a good state. We might see a similar Christian Pulisic to the one that was in, involved in Project Restart soon. So... This game, if he has a good game against Sheffield United, provided he starts, hopefully left wing, like you said, and he plays well, he goes into the international break on a high. All the players, all his teammates see what he's about. They're like, oh, Christian's back. So when he does get his chance later, they're going to want to pass him the ball. He's going to demand the ball. He's going to hopefully have better decision-making because he's more relaxed and he's just playing more instinctively. So it's just a process with him. I just hope he doesn't get overly frustrated and I hope he can see the long-term goal here. But there's still a player there. We shouldn't give up on him. Provided all of that happens, he'll be, he'll be one of our top players again, easily. I think that's what he did so well, too, in Project Restart. It always seemed like he was in the right position in the box. He was making those attacking runs even when he was coming from the win, even when he didn't have the ball. 
And even highlighted by that game, he came on, of course, as a substitute. He had a great assist, I will say that. But even before leading up to that, his decision-making, and, and this has kind of been something that's been a criti- criticism of Pulisic this season, his passes that he makes, his dribbles that he makes, he just doesn't seem as confident as a player, right, which is probably leading to these poor decisions from Pulisic. And I think that he just is overthinking a lot. Um, it's, it's, some, it's, a, it's similar to with a lot of other Chelsea Tosi squad members right now, but Christian Pulisic, we know what he can do. The shouts of him trying to sell Pulisic are absolutely terrible because mm. Pulisic, if he goes to another club, we know what's going to happen. He's going to come out and be a superstar. So why doesn't he just be a superstar for us? Because I know he can do that, and I hopefully he will start on Sunday. And that's what I want to get into right now, Jim, because we're running out a little bit of time. So starting elevens for me. It's going to be interesting to see because I, I could see this be a game where Thomas Tuchel reverts to a back four. And the reason being, Christensen, don't know what the status on him is. He trained, I know. But would you want to risk him again in a game like this? I could see a two-center back pairing because in this in this this formation that I bring up, you'd get to rest a guy like Asper the Quaita, who's played so many minutes over these past couple matches. So I'd actually go with the back four because I think it benefits Ben Shewell a lot. So I'd play Ben Shula at left back, the two center backs. I'd put in Antonio Rudiger and I'd play Kurt Zuma alongside him. I'd start Reese James at right back. And then it gets pretty interesting in the midfield. I'm going to go with Billy Gilmore in the midfield Mm -hmm. because I think Thomas Tuchel has been impressed by him. He needs to give him an opportunity. And he's been absolutely class in his short time at Chelsea so far. He's been great in the FA Cup in particular. And I'd start Jorginho next to him, the vice captain. Asked for the Kuwait's out, but Jorginho brings that leadership to the pitch. I'd play Gilmore and Jorginho in the pivot. And this is where it gets really interesting because I'm actually going to put – it hurts me. It does really hurt me. But I just think Hudson-Odoi was so damn good on the left-hand side against Everton. Mm. I'd put him on the left, and i put Puistic on the right. And I'm going to be mad seeing that if it does happen. But at the end <laughs> of the day, I just think Hudson-Odoi right now, goal-wise, goal-threat-wise – he provides so much from that left-hand side, cutting in on his right foot. I'd play Mason Mount. He's going to have a lot more freedom in this game. I'd play him as more of a central attack and midfielder. And then mm-hmm. I'd play Olivier Giroud up top. There's so much mix and match that you can play. And then a goalkeeper, last but not least, I'll select Kepa to play in this game because when he has put under Thomas Strickle, he's came in and he's done the job. So I think he deserves to start. If it was a little bit of a better team than Sheffield, I'd probably select Mendy. But since it is Sheffield, and since they're probably not getting too many shots on goal, consider our defense. Um, it's interesting for me because there is a formation change, but I think this is a game where we hope that both of us hope that Ben Shaw can get going. I think that's best when he's in the back four. I would not be surprised at all if he sticks with the back three. What are your thoughts on my lineup, but also what would you change in yours to hopefully get a win on Saturday, Sunday at lunchtime? Shane, not, I don't want to be boring, but I actually would go the exact same team that you mentioned. Seriously? I mean, you probably saw me on the video. I was just nodding my head. I was just like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I genuinely would go with that team. Mm. I mean, maybe the only question mark might be, is Tammy Abraham fit? Maybe him or Giroud, you know, but Sheffield United, they, they've got big guys, you know. It would be a game that suits Giroud, I think, and they're going to sit quite deep. So, yeah, actually, I, I, I'd prefer to play him and maybe bring Tammy off to give him some minutes. But... Um, the thing with Tuchel that I've learned is that it almost doesn't really matter the formation because it's very fluid. It, it really doesn't matter. It's not like we're playing FIFA 21 and we have to have a set formation. I mean, let me give you an example. 
it could easily change from Ben Chilwell tucking in left centre back, Callum Hudson Odoi going left wing back, Mason Mount then becoming one of the forwards, and Billy Gilmore and Jorginho in the middle. Right wing back could be um, would be Reece James, and then you've got Pulisic up front with behind Giroud. So it's going to be a mix of everything anyway, um, and I think it'll be interesting to see how that works out because obviously Sheffield United. I'm pretty sure, even with the new manager, they play um, three, five, two. So, um, so in some aspects, we kind of have to match up to that because if we don't, then they could slap us a bit, like what happened in that last season. You know, at Bramwell Lane, we didn't we didn't match up to them, and we got absolutely dismantled. We got touched. It was it was peak. It was probably the most peak game that season, um, and then Lampard sort of changed it afterwards and they still scored the third goal anyway. I'll never forget that game. But yeah, there's an element of having to respect the opponents because they are a bit awkward. Um, but whatever team we put out with the confident run that we're on and the run that they're on, we should pick up the points here. So I would go with the same team as you, but I'm just making the point that it's quite a fluid shape in my opinion. That's why I want Mason Mount on the pitch too, right? Because he can do so many different roles. That's why I think there was so much, there was so much, uh, what, what can I say? I can just say, just, I guess, disagreement on Chelsea online against Leeds because everyone's like, oh, is it a back four? Is it a back three? Well, it changes throughout the game. It doesn't, you don't have to play a back four the whole entire game, right? Like you mentioned. So I think we're going to see some more of that. This is a game for Giroud. He thrives in the cup competitions. He's been out, surprisingly, since start. I don't think he's even started since that Atletico Madrid game. He's come off the bench a couple of times, but Tuchel yeah. knows how great of a player he is. And I'd love to see Tim Abraham if he is fit, just because off the bench, he's scoring every 46 minutes in the FA Cup, and that's part to do why, because he had a hat trick in the other game. But the same moment, Tim Abraham, in my opinion, is Chelsea's most clinical striker. So I think coming off the bench, he'd be great to have. Hopefully he'll be in the squad for tomorrow. Thomas Tuchel's already confirmed that Falco Silva won't be traveling, won't be traveling, won't be going, won't be in the squad. Uh, they don't have to travel anywhere. Maybe we'll see him touchline again, cheering the team on, hopefully, um, from uh, at the east end of Stanford Bridge. But real quick before we get going, Jam, I want to talk a little bit about a bold prediction because I think it maybe spices, a, spices up the episode a little bit. My bold prediction, shock, shock, shock. Chelsea score a goal from outside the box. Is that is that possible, Jim? Can we score a goal from outside the box? Can, can we do it? Can we do it? <laughs> Whoa, I think all week they must have been doing shooting practice then, at minimum. <laughs> and then maybe a bit of a gust of wind or something puts it on target. Um, yeah, that's that's a hell of a bold prediction. I'll give you that, Shane. Um, Reese James. Wow. I mean, yeah, Reese James would be the one. If it's going to be anyone, it's going to be Reese James or Rudiger. Rudiger loves to go forward and just pop a shot off, doesn't he? Whether that's on target or not, that's another question. <laughs> Dr. Hustle. Um, no. Bold prediction. Bold prediction. Chelsea are going to score three or more goals. Mm. Interesting. We haven't that's done not it that so bold, far but yeah. It, it, exactly, exactly. Exactly. Because we haven't done it for a while. Um that's why I'm going to say it. Bold prediction, three or more goals. I like it. I like it. And real quick before the end of the episode, Jim, I like to bring us the weekly one football uh, trivia section. If you haven't one, download the one football app. I'm absolutely in love with it because they provide us with such great information before 
and beforehand the matches. Chelsea have won four of their five previous FA Cup ties against Sheffield United. With this, the first side, uh, with this, the first meeting between the sides since 1992 in the competition. Since the 1992 FA Cup clash between Chelsea and Sheffield United, the Blues have won three of the last six meetings between the sides at Stamford Bridge. They actually drew that one, remember, last season. We had the 2-0 lead going into halftime, and then Sheffield United came back and scored two goals. Chelsea are appearing in their 15th FA Cup core final since the turn of the century, the most of any side, and are looking to reach the semifinals for the fourth time in the last five seasons, missing out, of course, in 18-19 after they lost to Manchester United. In the fifth round, Sheffield United surprisingly have reached back-to-back FA Cup quarterfinals for the first time since 03 and 04. They haven't qualified for the semifinal, though, while being in the top flight since the 1993 season. Chelsea have won 19 of their last 23 FA Cup matches, played on home soil, winning the last four in a row. Coming into the quarterfinal ties, no player has scored more FA Cup goals this season than Chelsea's Tammy Abraham, Presented four times from shot from four shots, four times from four shots on target this season. Guess who the last player for Chelsea to do Ooh. that was? It was Frank Lampard with six goals and six shots on target in 2006 and 2007. So there's good omen for Chelsea to come away with a victory here, Jam. Real quick before we end the episode, where can my audience find you on Twitter, but also on the Chelsea social YouTube page? Because you guys are doing such awesome content right now for the Chelsea community. Yeah, thank you, Shane. Um, so on Twitter, uh, the audience can find me on at carefree underscore jam. Um, but also I'm one of the co-owners uh, of the Chelsea Social. So you can find the Chelsea Social on Twitter at the Chels Social. Um, we've also got the women's page, which is at the CFCW Social. Um, and as you said, Shane, we've uh, we ventured into the wonderful world of YouTube um, as of January. So, yeah, it's going quite well. Um, we're always trying to, to learn. We're still growing and it's getting bigger and better as we go along. So if you could just uh, drop by, subscribe, check our videos out and be sure to like the videos because it really does help us a lot. But what we do is we provide a lot of, um, we, pro- we provide watch along streams for every live game. Um, and we're trying to do at least a stream every other day. But we're changing the sort of mechanics and dynamics of the channel soon. So there'll be video content coming out more often. Um, and we've got quite a big team to help us with that. So, yeah, bigger and better things coming. Please do subscribe to Chelsea Social on YouTube and Twitch, by the way. Everyone who's listening to the podcast right now, I implore you to stop the episode. Go subscribe to the Chelsea Social on YouTube. Go give a follow for, to Jam on Twitter. His links will be in the show notes. But Ellie... Jay McIntosh and Jam have been so awesome to this podcast, helping it grow. They're all on the Chelsea social. They're doing such great things on YouTube right now. You can go watch them on those, of course, watch lines, see how their heart rate is uh, during Chelsea games, because I'm sure it's moving up and down, um, up and down on their watches. But yeah, once again, everyone, go follow the Chelsea social, because they've been such an awesome page, and they've helped out this podcast a lot since its inception. So make sure to go give them a subscription. Of course, follow Jam on Twitter. You can find us on instagram at lad from matthew harden podcast as always you can follow me on twitter at shane holcomb 13 for match day tweets stay close stay safe uh chelsea fans stay tuned for my match recap with a really awesome guest um in chelsea's media um industry hopefully we can get a win on sunday afternoon to get to wembley for the for uh, to get to wembley for the semifinals. Um, but once again thank you so much jam for coming on the podcast until next time chelsea fans Stay safe and up the chills.